A wise person once said, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. That wasn't a Star Wars quote. That was actually a real quote. But hey, you know what? If you want to have better learning, you can make better learners. We're going to talk about intentional learning with a bunch of guests and friends here on this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Okay, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome. Hey there. Hey there. Welcome to the Learning Geeks podcast. So, uh, so I'll set this up. We do have a couple of guests in the studio, and I'm going to let Jake introduce them, and here's why. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Jake and some of his colleagues at McKinsey wrote a really great article about intentional learning. And it's something that I know we've all talked about a little bit. Dana and I have been thinking about it as well, is how do we help people become better learners? Because then you'll get better learning, right? It just makes sense, as we said at the beginning. So, uh, so they wrote this great article, and we thought we should definitely discuss it on a Learning Geeks podcast. So, Jake, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our guests and to kind of facilitate our discussion today. Sure Sounds like thing. a book club, doesn't it? It yeah, does. Yeah. <laughs> it does a little bit. Kind of will be. Yeah. So we also we have Matt Smith on today. So Matt's a partner and CLO for McKinsey, and then we also have Lisa Christensen, who is our director of learning design and development team. Um, both, uh, including myself, wrote this intentional learning piece. Um, we had a lot of fun with it. I think what was great about this, including with with Bob and Dana, that we all really enjoy this topic in general. I think we've talked about it a few times on the show at some we point. Have. I know we've yeah. had Allison Horn on before to talk about better learning. And this specifically, uh, you know, when we, we wrote this piece, we we actually went back and forth a lot about what do we call it? What do we call it? And we came on the term intentional learners or intentional learning with the concept and idea that you truly have to be intentional. And I think that's one thing and one um, advantage that those that are considered, let's say, constantly are trying to get better at being better learners, they're, they're being intentional. They're looking at the different opportunities. They have a curiosity mindset. They have a growth mindset and, and adopt and still continue to practice multiple skills and practices uh, around this, this area. So we thought it was a great, great thing to do. We, you know, the three, three of us just really enjoyed the topic and uh, we thought it would just be a fun time to, to talk about it. So Matt, Lisa, say hi to the Learning Geeks world. <laughs> Hello world. Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Hello world. And thanks so much, Jake and Bob and Dana. As, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of the Learning Geeks. And so this is like the... I feel very nervous coming on and getting to chat with you guys today. It's uh, it's really exciting. Okay, well, we're going to make it worse for you as we ask questions. Make that yeah. make those nerves uh, yes accentuate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just excited to talk to the guy who played Doctor Who so well. Oh wait, no, that's a different Matt Smith. <laughs> there, there's a there's actually a group of us. We kind of divide up the work of the Matt Smiths, so we fill in for each other. <laughs> that's great. Well, we're we are super happy to have you on. I, hey, I would love. Uh, maybe you guys can do a quick overview of the article and, and your research. You kind of teed it up a little bit there, Jake, but what were kind of some of the salient points? Yeah, so I'll start. Um, I think that we really wanted to think about what are the practices that we see in people? Like what makes great learners? What do we, we've noticed that there's, even within our own organization, there's a distinction between 
people who are really great and people who are really great learners and what how that accelerates what they can do and be. And so we taught we spent a lot of time kind of digging through the research thinking about how do they think? Uh, and we landed on two mindsets that we think are really critical, growth mindset and curiosity. And then we thought about what do they do, right? What do we see them doing in their everyday? And, and we came up with five practices that we thought were really important. Setting small, clear goals, um, removing distractions, actively seeking actionable feedback, practicing deliberately, and practicing regular reflection. And so we, we've kind of set out to look at those practices and, and, and do a bit of a double click into each one and say, okay, based on these practices, how do people intentionally approach learning and how does that make them better? And the one thing that I, I would add is this, this concept of intentionality really came out as a cross-cutting theme. So when mm -hmm. we were going through all the different research, and we can get into it a bit here, all the different strands that that Lisa talked about that we tried to pull together into this. There is this element of the stronger the intention one brings to, to thinking about how to get the most learning out of every experience, uh, the more they're gonna learn and grow. And I, I think it, it becomes, it's one of these things where you go from thinking learning is something that you set aside time to do mm -hmm. to learning just being a mode that you're constantly in. Right now I am, learning more about this topic by having this dialogue here. We're all doing that if we have that intention in mind. I'm learning about how to have a podcast discussion in an effective way because I'm focusing on that as well. So the more we can bring those attentions to the fore of our consciousness, the more we're going to be able to get out of all the experiences that we go through life. Yeah, I kept thinking about mindfulness as I was reading the yeah. article, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of time now people think mindfulness just equates with sitting on a cushion and, and meditating for 10 minutes. But but the real intention of mindfulness, just of being aware of what is going on around you, bringing that attitude to learning is going to make you a better learner. Because you're going to do these things anyway, right? You're going to show up in meetings. You're going to counsel with people on your team. You're going to lead presentations. You're going to build deliverables. You're going to do that stuff anyway. And so how can you squeeze the learning out of those opportunities? Yeah. One of the things that we talk about periodically is, is the idea of priming your brain to learn. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, to your point, you know, if you go into a meeting and you've already asked yourself a variety of questions like, you know, what is it that I don't know about the topic that's going to be discussed? Or what do I know about it that could be challenged? Or there are several questions you can just have on your mind as you're walking into the meeting. And I think that's one great way of making meetings an intentional learning venue. Yeah, I think that's great. And, I, and I, I'd actually build on that a little bit and say, and if you tell other people about that, right? And if I say to Matt, hey, I'm working on this thing. Can you just pay attention in this meeting and see how I come across? And I'd love to hear about that after. If I, I can prime myself and I can prime other people so that I kind of have this community around me of people who are helping me do stuff and learn and grow and accelerate my development. Um, and, and they're like, they're very little tactics, but they can really make a big difference. Yeah. So subtle things that really start to build a culture of learning, right? Because if you're yeah. sharing with Matt and, and Jake's in there and you're all kind of helping each other on that journey, 
that that becomes contagious and everybody's like, hey, I want to be part of the culture of learning. That's what the leadership is doing, right? For sure. It, um, it activates teams in a really nice and organic way around supporting each other in their learning. And, and that then becomes really scalable, right? Because you could have a team of four or five people that are all supporting each other. You can have the leader of that team is also part of another team where they're supporting each other on their goals. And so I think this element of enlisting other people is, you know, we talk about it a bit in the article. I, I wonder whether we should make that e an even stronger part of the thrust of this, because the more you enlist the help of others, um, and that's not something that we talk about as much. If you think about kind of, we talk about sort of social learning. We talk about when we get people together for programs, they have a conversation with each other and all of that. But again, it's less about learning as an event that happens and more about just it's the air that you breathe and it's how you're going through the day. So I want to throw this out to pretty much everybody, but why do we think that this is so hard? I mean, when I when you hear the practices and when you hear the mindsets, I guess when you read it, it sounds yeah, that's not that's doable. But what makes what's the limited mindsets? What are the barriers for both the individual as well as even an organization that you're a part of? I have a theory unfounded by research. <laughs> Do you have theory with research, Matt? No, no, I love unfounded theories, Bob. So you should go. Does it have anything to do with Star Wars? No, not yet. No. That's at the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see if I can spin it that way. No, no. I, for me personally, I think it's it, it's because it's an unlearning. I think, you know, my experiences growing up in the American elementary secondary uh, school system, and that's not necessarily the way that we are taught to learn as kids. And so there is a big unlearning process that has to come with that. Now, I, I am fortunate that in during particular times as I was growing up, I had the occasion to really, like, instead of going through the regular curriculum, just go off and explore something, like find something I'm interested in and learn everything I could about it and do whatever I wanted to do. And those are the times when I reflect back now that I think I learned the most. But that's not the way that most kids yeah. got the chance to do it. So that's my theory. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, Bob, I, I think that's right. And I think there's there's both an unlearning and then a lack of learning, if if I could it, it, frame it that way. I think the unlearning is exactly what you just said. We, 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 we observe and are part of a system of how learning happens that you know, maybe not intentionally, but indirectly kind of trains our mind on how, what learning means and what it should be, right? And that's the unlearning piece you talked about. The, the other piece though is, I actually don't think we teach these simple skills. And Jake, to your point, that they're not necessarily rocket science, but I think about, you know, when new people join McKinsey, we teach them 87 different things that they need to know to be able to do their job, but we don't actually teach them, here's some simple practices that you can put into place that are going to help maximize your development, right? And I, I, I just think, I wonder, you know, that that's probably true of most organizations where if, if, we, if we actually spent some time building these skills and then role modeling these skills in our organizations, I actually don't think it would be that hard for them to spread. Um, but the, again, going back to the intention, you have to want to do it. You have to actually have an intention and then build it into um, 
uh, what we what we tell people is important and what we train them on. One thing that's uh, came to mind, Matt, as you were talking about that is is we uh, built a little video. It's a five minute video or less, and it uh, it explains uh, a reflection activity called what squares, where you draw a square, a tri- a circle, and a triangle vertically on a piece of paper, and then next to it you write. Next to the square, you write two or three things that square with your thinking. Next to the circle, uh, two or three things that are still rolling around your head. And next to the triangle, some things that you're going to change based on what you've learned. Very simple technique. You can do it in five minutes. And it's amazing how viral that's gone. That that internal video is now over, over 10,000 views. And I've heard leaders using that. And um, we had a training session where uh, the the interviewer structured his interview based on that type of an approach. So again, it's not a hard technique, but it's one that if you don't know about it or haven't thought about it or haven't been exposed to it, you'd never use. That's pretty good mileage for a dad joke built into a job aid there. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> what I squares, counted, what rolls I around, counted, and what are you going to change? I counted three dad jokes, but... Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I get all the mileage I can out of those things. That's beautiful. It's beautiful because <laughs> it's memorable. It works. So one one tactic to Dana that I think both well Lisa and Matt and I have been um, well this is actually Matt's Matt's thrown out idea but the concept of this three by three by three and we'll be doing some more thinking around it but if you were able to say let's say take three goals you have three goals and who are three people that you can support you in those goals. And then you have three months. So it's something to try to get them to think in a shorter time frame, not stack all of these goals up, plus focus on, it's not just on you, it's also on other, how can you get support mentors or whoever to maybe push you, to guide you. But just a simple framework. I think it's stuff like that too, Dana, that that I think can help people realize that this this can be done, but it's also something I have to, one, I have to be deliberate to do. I have to practice. Mm-hmm. I have to try different things out. But, you know, adding these fr- frameworks, I think, are extremely beneficial for folks that don't naturally think of that in their everyday um, work and life flow, really. I love that idea. I think that's exciting. The three by three by three. Yeah, it, it's, you know, one it was in response actually to a conversation we were having on this where the interviewer was like, well, these are great principles or, you know, a synthesis of the research, but tell me how to go do it. Like, what do you, what do you want? What advice would you give to someone that wants to put this into practice? And what was funny is we kind of came up almost on the spot on this idea of, well, you shouldn't have too many things that you're working on. Cause if it's too many, you diffuse the focus. Other people can't remember them all. You can't even remember them all. So we said probably around three. And then I started riffing on, it's probably three to six months that you want to, you know, you don't want, we're not talking about setting a goal that you're going to be working on for three years or two years or something like that. And, and, and we're like, Oh, it's, it's three by three. 
And then it was this priming element. How do you prime other people to know what to look for in, in what you're doing and how to help you? And so it, it's, you know, it, that, you know, Dana, your example earlier of the, uh, the square, the circle and the triangle, just some simple, t- if we can boil these principles down for people into some simple tools and ways that they can put it into practice. I do still think, by the way, it's good to teach the principles because a lot of people are going to want to know like what's behind it and, and why does this make sense? And there are some mindsets that go beyond just filling out a template that I think are really important. But then if you can help people down that path of how do I really put this into place? So speaking of mindsets, Lisa, I want to bring this over to you because I have this question the other day. I got asked to talk about intentional learning and and I wasn't able to join, but one of the questions came up was, what's the difference between a growth mindset and a curiosity mindset? That's mm. the two things that we talked about in our in our paper. Yeah. And there are differences, but I'm really curious from from your perspective and, and others too when after you share, but what are the differences? How do you see them either the differences plus how do they work together? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think when I think about growth mindset, I really, it ties a lot for me to self-advocacy, right? Like you have to believe you can learn and you have to believe that the efforts that you're going to make matter. And so I actually was thinking as you all were talking about what holds us back, I think that a lot of us hold a more fixed mindset than we realize. And we sort of think like, I'm already supposed to be the leader of this team, or I'm already supposed to be, you know, whatever. Um, and that's a real fixed mindset, right? That I that you can't grow in a certain role. And so I think I think the growth mindset is really important because it's this self-belief that you are going to make effort and that that effort is going to actually improve you. Um, and then I actually think curiosity is really important, but a little different for me. Uh, for me, curiosity is really about, we talk about it as like the gas that powers the engine, right? It's just like, are you a collector of ideas? Are you, do you like trying new things? Are you interested in, you know, books or do you love like working with certain kinds of people or you get, what gives you energy and excitement and passion for things? Because that's where so much of learning comes from too, right? You have to care about what you're doing. You have to be excited about it. You have, it has to matter to you and curiosity and kind of feeding curiosity can help you find things that matter to you, can help you find that energy and passion. And so, you know, we talk about growth mindset as this belief in self and belief that it matters and curiosity as this like just just energy for new stuff and learning. I'm glad you brought up the self-efficacy. I know that's in the article, but some of the research that we've been exposed to indicates that self-efficacy can be as much as 70% of your ability to succeed at things. And when you think about that in context of learning, you know, if you go in with a, a kind of a fixed mindset, it's like, oh, the math is too hard. I'm not never going to be able to learn this particular topic. Right. That, that's different than saying, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I haven't learned it yet. Right? Yeah. I'm just, I, even I that, that. that word yet yep. just changes the whole dynamic of your mind. Yeah. That's actually a big parenting technique for me. Right. Like I've been yeah. Carol Dwecking my children for a while now. <laughs> me too. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Since I read the book. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Dweck them, Lisa. Dweck them. Really? But that, that idea of like, not yet. They're like, oh, I'm not good at this. And I say, no, you're not good at this yet. Like, not yet. Right. right? It's a not yet mindset. I love that. Another another way to think about curiosity and growth mindset is, is to think about what their absence would look like relative to learning. 
And, you know, Dana, you know, to pick up on the example you were just talking about with math, if I don't think that I can learn math, I'm probably not going to invest in learning math. Also, if I have no interest in math, if there's no curiosity there, I'm probably not going to learn math. And that's why they're different concepts, but the, the, the absence of one or the other really gets in the way of, of learning. And, and, and that's why I, I think that they're not just important as conceptual categories that we can talk about and everything. It's how do you apply them to more and more areas of your life that open up new avenues of learning? Like I think one of the one of the misconceptions about growth mindset that I see people, it's like a binary thing for people. It's like they either think, oh, I'm a fixed mindset person or a growth mindset person. It can be applied to any dimension that you can imagine. And then it's also not a binary variable, right? And so these are things that the more you think about them, the more you work on them, just the more avenues for learning are going to open themselves up to you. One thing I'm curious about is how do we cultivate curiosity? So, and yes, what I'm about to say completely belies a fixed mindset way of thinking. <laughs> I acknowledge this. It's true. But it seems like... To me, this is just a gut feel. Like once the idea of fixed mindset and growth mindset is explained to you, you can kind of be like, oh yeah, I have been fixed mindset and maybe I can try this other way. And it, it seems like it's something that you can cultivate fairly easily in somebody. But curiosity just seems to be to be something you're kind of either wired up with or not. Like either, you yeah. know, you're the kid who's going to uh, take apart your electronic games to see how they work or you're like, I'm good. Uh, you know, how do we cultivate that era of, of curiosity that I think we all agree you really need to be an effective learner? Yeah. Well, I mean, even what you just said suggests that there's one definition for what being curious looks like. And I don't know that that's true. Right. So. So, yes, maybe you're the kid who takes apart the VCR or uh, there's a throwback for you. VCR in the show notes. We'll define what VCR so, yeah, there was this thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe you're the kid who takes apart the VCR or maybe the kid who like throws a thousand three throws, free throws, trying to get yeah. that right. Right. Or maybe you're the kid who spends all day like with a nose, your nose in a book. Or maybe you're the kid who just loves outside or nature or why the leaves look like this. Like, Curiosity looks like, I think, all sorts of things. And so I, I, part of it is trying to expand our definition, I think, of what it means to be curious. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. One thing that came to mind, Bob, as you were asking that question is, I think part of curiosity comes with exposure to, to more experiences. Mm. And, and part of what drives that thinking is, um, several years ago, I was, uh, my wife and I decided we want to take my kids to the Middle East, to Israel and Jordan. And prior to that, being a design guy, I created a little workbook and we went through and we read about the history and we read about the archaeology and we did all of that stuff as a prep. So when we actually got to various cities and various locations, they already had this background, but they also had so much more that they could take in by physically being there. So I, I think part of curiosity is, is you know, sometimes it takes just a little bit of um, exposure and then it can open up a whole new world of, uh, of experience. Yeah. I, I also think curiosity is really fun. Like take mm -hmm. a day and go through that day being really curious about people and just the other human beings you interact with. It'll be a, actually a really interesting day. And so some of these things are 
become self-reinforcing loops once you start doing them. And I actually think that if you, if you just go out and be be curious about something, pick the thing today and go do it, and you'll be like, wow, that, that's actually really interesting. And then you'll want to do more of that. And I think a, a, so much of this in when we talk about this concept of intentional learning, you know, some of it is a little bit eat your vegetables. Like we haven't talked as much about deliberate practice yet, which can be actually kind of hard. But a lot of it, the more of it that is self-reinforcing, that is fun, that is energizing, I think the more people will want to do it. Yeah. And as you've just been talking, I'm thinking too, we can inject that, we, we can jumpstart that process with good storytelling and art. Yes. Like I I think about like Guy Raz's, you know, how I built this podcast. I really had no interest in how these entrepreneurs start these companies until I started listening to his podcast. And it's because he does such an amazing job telling that story. It draws me into it. I think, you know, for those of us whose job it is to cultivate curiosity, a good video, a good podcast, some, you know, really creative drawing in connecting way to get people to think about something they've never thought about before would be very helpful. Yeah. Priming, priming the pump. Yeah, exactly. So with some of the remaining time that we have left, I am curious to ask both of you, I think Bob, Dan, and myself, I've talked a lot about how we have our intentional learners, how we practice. And I know Bob behind him over to his left side has a little chart up there that he he does every so often. I just finished this There it is. It's all... For those that are listening, you can't see it, but he's showing his chart of, of, of keeping track of some of the things that he works on. But for the for both Lisa and Matt, how are you intentional learners? What are things that you do? Matt, you spoke about deliberate practice. Maybe you could start there. Like what what's something in that practice specifically that maybe you you do on a either a daily basis or you're deliberate about deliberately practicing something? Yeah, I'm going to out myself, Jake. I am awful at deliberate practice. So that is something I need to, <laughs> but I don't have a fixed mindset about it. I know I can get better, but maybe uh, it, it's worth spending a minute just defining deliberate practice because it is a little bit of a term of art. And, and some people may, you know, it, it just is that mean practice that I focus on, but it, it, it kind of comes out of the work of Anders Ericsson and many others on what do the best performers in, you know, it started a lot in sports and music, but then, you know, branched out to high performers across any number of different disciplines. You know, what do they do that sets apart the best performers? And, and one of the findings there was there is a specific type of practice, which is very focused on small units it's you focus on little bits and really work at it until you get it right you do that over and over again so think about you're not playing a whole five minute song on the piano you might just be practicing two bars over and over again until it's perfect it's done in the context of someone who can give you feedback uh, usually so there's a teacher or a mentor present so that that's a little bit just to unpack what deliberate practice is. And, and the reason that uh, the reason that I don't do it as much as I should is that it, it's kind of hard. Like you actually have to find uh, settings where you set aside time for it. So a lot of what we've been talking about so far is learning that can happen in every moment, right? You have goals, they're in the back of your head, you're applying a growth mindset, you believe you can get better at something, you've primed other people, then you reflect on it afterwards. Deliberate practice really is something you have to set aside time to do. 
and set aside a, a context in which you can practice. And so that, that may be the one where for me, I have the most, uh, let's just call it a development opportunity on. But I think, you know, what two things that I would just throw in and then Lisa, I'd be curious to hear yours because we actually didn't necessarily trade notes on this. We were so deep mm -hmm. in like the research and everything and <laughs> geeking out over that. We didn't talk about what we actually did. But two things that I do, one is um, we talk about in this piece, regular reflection. And that's something that I, I'm very intentional about and do sort of at multiple levels. Like I'm actually reflecting now on this conversation we're having and the ability to do that refle reflection in moment is an important skill. There's also the element of weekly, monthly, sort of stepping back and looking at things. So I'm, I'm pretty good about that. And then the other one um, that I try to really focus on is uh, asking for feedback. We haven't talked as much about feedback today, but it's one of the core practices. And it, it, it goes into this whole enlisting others in the process. And so I, I'm pretty... Um, I'm pretty obsessive about getting feedback from the people that I'm working with on on things that they see that I should do more of and things that they see that I should do differently in some way. And and those are two practices that I've built in over the years. And you know, Lisa, I'd love to hear, you know, the ones that work for you. Yeah, I think reflection is also a really important one for me. Um, and I do that in a number of different ways, but I actually keep like a work journal. Uh, where I, I jot down experiences that we've had, projects that we've worked on, what went well, what didn't, um, how I felt about it, how I want to show up differently next time. So I, I do a little bit of that. Also, I'm just a great collector, I think, of ideas. I'm kind of an idea hoarder. Uh, I love I love books. I love ideas. I love podcasts. I love I love anything that like is going to feed I you know that ideation. Um, and I, so I've always got a bunch of books I'm reading. I've always got a bunch of things I'm thinking about. And I try to take them uh, and like post-it note them onto my laptop. So I've always got a couple of rotating post-it notes of like, I'm working on this, right? Like right now I have a big um, post-it note on my laptop that says focus on one thing at a time. Like I'm, I'm practicing that focus to try to do deeper work. Uh, and so I try to like collect ideas and decide what I want to work on. And then I, you know, I, I do a little bit of a prompting to try to remind myself that that's the thing I'm practicing right now. Yeah. Minimizing distractions, which is also a practice that we have listed is probably number one for me because one, there's so many things out there that are going on, not, not just in life, of course, but I, I, ha I'm known to ask too many questions and then want to go in this deep hole and all of these different paths and then I wonder how the heck did I even get here? And then I'm lost and then I walk away and find something else I'm curious about, <laughs> but just at the service level. But um, but yeah, it is minimized instructions. And I think even more importantly now when more people are working from home, when there's really no different environment to separate work and yeah. life and everything else, it's even harder. Um, and I feel like it's something that I think at one point I was getting good at and now I still feel I have to really practice and figure out new techniques and how to minimize those distractions. I know this has been a podcast about intentional learning, but to me, it teases out another topic. Uh, when I was studying at Northwestern, we talked a lot about incidental learning. Mm -hmm. So those are things that you learn kind of along the way. Um, a good example of that is I've got a friend who uh, learned lots about the different cities in the United States uh, and really knew quite a bit about them because he loved football. And 
during the halftime and other times they do these little highlights about the city that they're in. So he didn't really go out intentionally to learn, but he learned a lot of things incidentally because he loved football. So anyway, topic for a different podcast, yeah, yeah, kind of an interesting good. one That's to explore. Very cool. That yeah. sounds really good. Well, you know, we should we should just make a date to do that because it's been great chatting with you guys on this. This has been a really fun conversation. I feel like we could have gone on for hours, but our listeners have told us if we go longer than about half an hour, you know, they got things to do. They got places to go and things to learn. So let's wrap it up for right now. But uh, we would love to have you guys back on if you were willing to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. That's great. And Matt, I'll give you the feedback. You did an excellent job in your discussion and your uh, your conversation in a podcast. So as you continue to master that skill, come back and teach us how to do that. But Bob, I'm gonna I'm gonna need some more specific feedback than that. So we'll we'll set up some time afterwards. <laughs> you were very clear, no stutters, no stumbles. You knew what you were gonna talk about, you hit your points, you're in. It was great. It was great. Thank you. So thanks. And thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, really happy you could join us and feel free to chime in. You know, you can always respond to whatever note you saw that this was posted on uh, with a comment. We'll get back to you. Send us emails, talk. Let's keep the conversation going, but keep learning intentionally and keep helping your people learn how to be better learners. So on behalf of Jake and Dana and Lisa and Matt, this is Bob saying thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.